I want to wrap up this series called Inspired with a message titled Great Things. How many of you are like me every four years during this time of the year? I get excited. I love the Olympics. Anybody else like watching the Olympics? Man, I, I love watching the Olympics, man, and I get inspired watching it. I watch stuff that I don't ever watch except for every four years. You know what I'm saying? I don't watch a diving, but I watch it during the Olympics. You hear what I'm saying? You know, yesterday I was watching BMX bike ride. Anybody watched that BMX yesterday? Oh, that was good. What knocking each other down, riding that bicycle 40 miles an hour. Boom! Six of them fell down. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's my kind of sport. Knock them down, baby. You know, but I, I love the Olympics and, and, and inspiring stories. How I many of you saw? The, the guy from South Africa, the sprinter with no legs, and he's wearing prosthetics. Anybody see him, man? And he's sprinting, man. I mean, it's so inspiring. I feel like I could run through a brick wall watching these athletes, and then they give you the backdrop of them, and they take, take their life. You know, they'll pick one of them, and they'll try to share their story. Here's what happened. Here's how, what they've been through. And, it's so, and they're playing that music, you know. Like you want to cry, you know what I mean? Because you're, you're so sucked into it. And it inspires all of us to do great things with our life when we see the Olympics and see the stories. And, and, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to inspire you today. I want to inspire you to do great things in, in the spirit of this whole Olympic season and, and the Olympic theme, inspiring a generation. I want to just kind of inspire you to do great things things. And so I want to give you four keys to great things, four keys to great things. And I want to inspire you to do great things for the Lord. And I want to talk to you about how that can happen in your life. Number one is this, believe God wants to do great things. I want you to believe God that he wants to do great things. I want to make it personal. He wants to do great things in your life, with your life. If you have a Bible, You can turn to Mark chapter 6. I'm going to be there today for the remainder of our time together. And I want to read to you a very familiar story in the Bible if you have been a Christian for some time. But I want to shed some some light, some insight that I believe will help us and inspire us to do great things. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 34. The Bible says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, the Bible says the crowd was about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. With women and children, it was probably somewhere around 15,000, maybe even upwards to 20,000 people, that large crowd. He, He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, kind of an isolated place where they were. They said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take Eight months of of a man's wages, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And I want you to notice the situation. Here, there are thousands of people who are hungry, need to eat. There's no food around. They're in a remote place, a very isolated place. And Jesus looks at his disciples and said, you give them something to eat. Isn't, Isn't that like our master? Isn't that like our savior? He looks back at his disciples and says, you give them something to eat. In other words... I want to use you to do great things. I want to use you to bless and to help these 
people. And the same is true for us. God wants to do great things in and through our lives. God wants to use us to bless and to help others. And as your pastor, I want to inspire you to have this mindset towards life, this mindset that God wants to use my life. He wants to use me in great ways. He wants to do great things in and through my life. But so many people respond like the disciples responded. Who, us? You want to use us? I mean, don't you see the magnitude of the situation, Jesus? There's like 15,000 people. It's dark. We're in a remote place. It would literally take eight months of someone's wages to feed all these people. You want to use us? And the disciples begin to give Jesus excuses of why God could not use them to do great things and to bless and to help these people. And oftentimes we find ourselves where the disciples are. God wants to use our life in a great way. He wants to do great things in and through our life. And we give God excuse after excuse after excuse of why God can't use our life. And I want to inspire you to get rid of your excuses and start to embrace this mindset. I want you from this day forward to start having the mentality, having the mindset God wants to use me. God wants to do great things in and through my life. This is not hype. I'm not trying to hype you up. I'm not trying to be a cheerleader. I'm simply giving you the truth of God's word. God wants to do great things in and through your life, no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter what situation or dilemma you find yourself in, no matter if it's happy times or bad times. No matter if it's a time of joy or if it's a time of sorrow, God wants to do great things in and through your life. And the first thing is this. You have to believe it. You have to believe God wants to do great things. There's a second thing I want you to see. Number two is this. Number two, surrender your bread to Jesus. Surrender your bread to Jesus. Let's pick back up in Mark chapter 6 and verse 37. But he answered, Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. I want to do great things through your life. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves? Notice Jesus' question. How many loaves do you have? Isn't it kind of intriguing that in the Bible you see this oftentimes? Jesus looks back at people and say, what do you have? Moses, what do you have in your hand? You know, ask his disciples, what what do you have? What, 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 What do you possess? He asked. Matter of fact, Jesus said, go and see. You don't even know what you got. You're telling me we can't feed these people. Go and see what you have. When they found out, they said five and two fish. And Mark chapter 6 and verse 41 says this, taking the five loaves and two fish, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. And, and I, I don't believe at all that Jesus like took it and stole it from them. It wasn't like Jesus said, mm, it's mine now. Now what? What you going to do? Now, that's, what, that's not what happened. Matter of fact, the disciples didn't even have the bread with them. Jesus said, go see what you got. And so the disciples, they left, and they went, and they checked out what they had, and they brought back the bread. I got some wonder bread right here. That's what they wonder bread. You know what I'm saying? But, but, but they brought back the bread to Jesus, and they were like, look, Jesus, it's 15,000 people. We got five pieces of bread. Now what? What? Here, take it. Here's yours. How are we going to feed these people with five? Loaves of bread and two fish. Here you go, Jesus. And they surrendered their bread 
to Jesus. And can I tell you, the, 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 the disciples, they, they could have said, Jesus, we're not giving you our bread. They could have said, no, no, you can't have our bread. Matter of fact, Jesus, you know there's no way we're going to feed 15,000 people with this amount of bread. I mean, it's just, there's no way. Matter of fact, Jesus, matter of fact, if I'm being honest with you, it's dark out here. It's dark. We've been here all day. You've been teaching like you've been teaching on and on and on and on and on and on and on. I mean, it's been good. It's been good and all, but it's late. It's late, Jesus. It's late. It's getting dark. We're in a remote place. It's private. And listen, Jesus, there's 12 disciples, five pieces of bread. It's already on. It is on tonight. And now you want to invite the rest of these people to the bread? Oh, no. I'm getting ready to knock somebody out. I'm getting ready to hurt James. And I'm going to hurt Judas. I think Judas is stealing the money anyways. I'm going to eat my bread. I'm not giving you my bread. I'm giving you the bread, Jesus? What's wrong? I'm giving you the bread. But the disciples didn't do that. The disciples took the little bread they had and the fish they had, and they surrendered their bread to Jesus. Principle, 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 principle. You can't be used greatly by God if you won't surrender your bread to Jesus. You see, you've got to surrender your bread to Jesus. And one of the biggest things that stops people from being used greatly by God is they won't surrender their bread to Jesus. And one of the biggest reasons, you know what happens to Christians? One of the big reasons Christians don't surrender their bread is because a lot of Christians think that Christianity is all about just being saved. And they stop there. And I understand if you're not saved, the most important thing you need to do is get saved. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life is to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, to have your sins washed away. But listen, after you're saved, you don't stop there. You see, the next step is now you're saved. Now it's being surrendered to God. It's surrendering your life to God. You see, if I had to sum up the word discipleship in one word, the one word I would choose is the word surrender. Surrender. You want to be a disciple? You have to surrender your life to God. You see, disciples, yep, yep, you follow me. You follow Jesus' disciples, and, and you're eating with him. You're watching Jesus do miracles. You know Jesus. But listen, disciples, I know you know Jesus, but the question is, will you surrender your five loaves and two fish? I know you follow Jesus, and I know you believe that he's the Son of God, but will you surrender your bread to Jesus? And unfortunately, in the body of Christ, there's a lot of people saved, but not surrendered. And yet they want God to do great things in their life. But you, God can't do great things in your life until you surrender your bread to Jesus. Some of you, your, your bread is it's sin. And you're holding tight to your bread. And you come to church on Sunday, you kind of do the God thing on Sunday, you know, and you kind of leave out on Sunday and say, I did my little church thing, and now I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to live like I want to live and do like I want to do. And, and, and yet you want God to do great things in your life, but you won't surrender your bread to Jesus. And you're missing out on all that God wants to do because you're trying to hold on to your bread. And you won't let go of your life and surrender your life to Jesus because you think being saved is good enough. But I'm telling you, being saved is not good. It's being saved and surrendered. That's, that's how God uses you is being saved. It's not good enough just to be saved and come to church and do a little church and go and do whatever you want to do. No, no. You want God to use you. Listen, I know you know Jesus. I know you're eating with Jesus. But disciples, if you want to see a miracle, you want God. Would you surrender your five loaves and two fish? Some of you, it's your time and talents. And you think your time is your time. And your talents and your talents. Matter of fact, if the truth of the matter is this, if Jesus tapped in your shoulder and asked you to do something, you would tell him you couldn't. I'm busy, Lord. I got things to do. 
I got four kids and a wife. I can't, I don't have, I can't give you my time and talents. I'm busy. And see, it's your surrender. I remember the first time I really wrestled with this, and I've wrestled with it many times, but the first time I really wrestled with this was, was I, I was a freshman in college. And I've shared this story before. I was playing football on a scholarship at a university. I felt like God was calling me to full-time ministry. And I felt like I was supposed to leave my football scholarship and go get a Bible degree. I didn't know how it was going to work out, but it was at that moment I have to understand, God, is my time my time? Is my talents my talents? Or do I surrender this to you? Because I'm saved. I know you. But the real issue is, will I surrender? It was at that moment I said, I surrendered. I looked at a full football scholarship. And long story short, I ended up at another school with a Bible program. And I got a football scholarship. And God worked it all out. But can I tell you, it was one of those moments, a critical moment in my life. Am I just going to be saved or am I going to be saved and surrendered? Am I going to surrender my bread to Jesus? So maybe it's the issue of serving. Will you serve, will you, will you serve in, God's, in God's church, in God's house? And it's the issue of, and once again, it'll bless the church. Thank the Lord. And it'll, more lives will be changed. Kids will be changed in the kids' ministry and the youth ministry. Greeters and parking lot. It's a blessing the cameras and the musicians. It'll bless the house of God. But the real issue is this. It's about you. It's about will you surrender? I mean, that's the real issue. It's the issue of surrender. Or do you really feel like your time is your time and your talents are your talents and you'll do what you want with your life. And I'm saved, but I'm doing it. But you miss out. If you don't give Jesus your bread, you miss out on him doing great things in your life. It's always been an issue of surrender. There's a, there's a lady that lives next door to you and she's elderly and she needs somebody to take her to get her medication or to take her to buy some groceries. But you're, you're too busy and Jesus is tapping you on your shoulder. There's a little kid who needs ministry, who needs your help, who needs you to maybe help him with his homework. And, but you're saying, I'm too busy. And Jesus is tapping you on your shoulder. Jesus is tapping your shoulder where you go serve down at the city rescue mission and help with the poor. But Jesus, I'm too busy. And you give Jesus all the excuses. That he's tapping you on your shoulder. And yet you think that you're saved and that's good enough. But I'm telling you, Jesus wants people that will surrender their bread to him for some christians it's it's the area of finances and they won't surrender their bread they want to know jesus and talk about jesus but when it comes to the issue of surrender they're just saved they won't surrender they miss out on what god wants to do in their life the word of god says that 10 percent of our income belongs to the lord and it's the first 10 percent and i've been a tither since i've been a christian since i was 17 years old but it's an issue god's not trying to take my money he wants my heart he wants me to surrender my life to him and there are some people say, no, no I'm, not, I'm not doing all that. I, I want to kind of know God a little bit and do the church thing, kind of be saved. But I don't know about all that surrender. But God says, no, you're missing out on me doing great things in your life unless you'll surrender your bread to me. And for, for, for me, if I have to tell you my struggle, my struggle wasn't tithing. So I've been a tithe. I've tithed all, uh, ever since I've been a Christian and gave my life to Jesus at 17. My wife and I have tithed ever since we've been married. The real issue for us is after we tithe, what we were going to do with the other 90%. And I had to get to a place where I realized all of it was God's. Not, not just the 10%, but the other 90%. And so we would pay our bills and do whatever we wanted to do. But I had to get to a place, God, God, I surrender. I said, God, all of it's yours. What do you want me to do with your money? And I had to surrender it to God. And now, man, we, we, we give like crazy and we support missionaries. And, and we, we, we give above and beyond to the church. We, we give to outreaches. We give to backpacks. We, but but it, the issue is this. The issue is this. The issue is this. It's about what well, you surrender your bread to Jesus. Now, I know some of you are uncomfortable right now. I, I'm glad I'm making you uncomfortable. I'm tired of you just been saved. I want you to get tired of just been saved. I want you to be surrendered so that you can experience God doing great things in and through your life. And it'll never happen if you keep your bread to yourself. It only happens when you surrender your bread 
to Jesus. I want you to see a third thing, a third thing, because we're talking about being inspired to do great things for God. You've got to believe God wants to do great things. Then you have to surrender your bread to Jesus. And number three is this. God does great things through our partnership, through our partnership. That's how God works. And this seems like such a simple truth, but it's one of the most misunderstood principles in the Scripture. This, this right here is one of the most misunderstood principles in the Word of God. So many Christians believe God will do great things in their life without them doing anything. Hear me. A lot of people believe that. God's going to do great things in my life, and I'm not going to have to do anything to receive those great things. But that's not how God works. God does great things. God even does miracles, but it's through our partnership. I want you to understand that day, Jesus could have provided those 15,000 people food. He didn't need the disciples. He didn't need them. I mean, Jesus could have turned some sticks into bread. He could have took some leaves and made them lasagna with French bread, with butter, garlic on it. I mean, he's Jesus. He's God. He'll do what he wants to do. But, but understand, God has chosen to partner with humanity. By, by God's plan and design, he's chosen to partner with humanity to accomplish his, he accomplished his plan and his purpose in the earth. God's chosen. He says, listen, the great things that are going to be done, I've chosen to partner with humanity to accomplish my redemptive purposes in the earth. And when a man or a woman, when they surrender their bread to God and they partner with God, amazing great things. Things happen. Literal miracles happen when we partner with God. And so God says to the disciples, Jesus said in Mark 6, verse 37, but he answered, you give them something to eat. I mean, I'm God. I'm Jesus. I could do it. I could send them away. Or I could provide food. But you give them something. Because Jesus said this. He's saying this. I want to partner with you to do great things. And then he goes on to say in Mark chapter 6 and verse 39, then Jesus directed them. In other words, he commanded them. The them is, are the disciples. Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is including the disciples in this miracle that they don't even know is going to be a miracle? But he said, guys, I want to use you. So here, you go tell the people to sit down in groups of hundreds of fifties because I'm going to work a miracle, but it's through your partnership. You're going to participate. He goes on to say in Mark chapter 6 and verse 41, taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. Jesus gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before. Notice this. It didn't say Jesus did it all himself. No, 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 no. He broke. He blessed them. He broke the loaves and he gave the loaves back to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. I want you to see that God accomplishes great things through our partnership, through our simple acts of obedience. You see, our simple acts of obedience, God accomplishes great things. But hear this, oftentimes our simple acts of obedience, they don't look like miracles. Matter of fact, God accomplishes great things. God accomplishes miracles. But oftentimes our simple acts of obedience, they look very mundane. They look very boring. And the problem with so many Christians is they're looking for the spectacular. Come on, God. If you're going to use me, send a lightning bolt. Send a light, hit the top of my roof with a lightning bolt. God speak audibly. They want, they want, they want the spectacular. 
But that's not how God oftentimes works. Matter of fact, in the scripture, what you'll find is this. Check this out. Check this out. Don't miss this. It's a key principle. I want to shatter some of the bad thinking. The principle is this. In the scripture, it's natural first, supernatural second. Natural first, supernatural second. Now, a lot of Christians just want supernatural. Give me supernatural, God. Oh, just move by your power. Supernatural. No, 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 no. That's how God works. It's natural first and supernatural second. Okay, disciples. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, we got to feed these people. We got to feed these people. We're gonna have, it's going to be a miracle. Here's what I want you to do. Go get your fish. Go get your bread. What, what do you got? Give it to me. Give me your bread. No, no. Give me. Your, you, you want to see a miracle? Give me the bread. Got the bread. Jesus blessed it. Gave it back to the disciples. The disciples has set the people down in groups of 1500s. That's not very spectacular, is it? Like, where's the miracle? I mean, where's, come on, where's the, spe- where's the lightning? No, there's no lightning. Sit down in groups of 50 to 100. Why? Because Jesus said, sit down. Groups of 1500s. They set the people down. They took the bread and they started walking. There's no miracle. Matter of fact, if you would have been there that day, there would have been nothing spectacular. They took the bread. I can just see Peter. He rips off some. He gives it to a family. And he looks at the man. He says, chew slowly. That's all I'm saying. Slowly. It's 15,000 of y'all. Peter looks. There's more bread. What in the world? He goes to another family and he, he rips off just a little piece. He's like, I don't know how this thing's going to work out. He just rips off a little piece. Hey, the entire family will have to eat out of this one piece of bread, all ten of you. Sorry, that's just the way it is. But, but Peter, that's not enough. That's not enough to fear. That's all we got. He looks at, what? There's more. I mean, he just walked and they just handed out. the. You don't see any spectacular lightning bolt. No. The miracle happened through simple acts. Matter of fact, matter of fact, matter of fact, here's what we're not thinking of. Most of the people that day would have never known a miracle was taking place. Now, all they knew was sit down in groups of 50. They had no idea all the disciples had were five loaves of bread and two. They didn't know that. Now, obviously, the word spread, and they figured out by the end of the day that it came from five loaves and two fish. I guarantee you some people are saying, you're lying. Somehow y'all had some bread somewhere hidden. No, 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 no. Well, we didn't see out where that bread came from. Where did it come from? Heaven? Because it's natural first. And supernatural second, and oftentimes it's just simple acts of obedience. I, I look at Jesus when, when, he was, when, when he showed up at the wedding, and the Bible says there was a wedding going on, and, the, and, and they ran out of wine. And Jesus, I mean, he's Jesus. He's God. He could have said, poof, there's some more wine. Just turn the air into, into, into wine. But God operates through humanity to accomplish great things. And so God, Jesus says, listen, take the, 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 the water pots and fill them up with water. You do your part. Matter of fact, if you'd have been there, you would have even never known it was a miracle. There were people that day in that house that did not know there was a miracle. They were dancing. They were partying. Woo, we got a marriage going on in the house today. And all of a sudden they go over there and they just get some wine. Did you know we were out of wine? Oh, we're just out of wine. No, we were out of wine. I'm telling you, Jesus just turned us on water. We went and got some water. We didn't see it? Wait, how? No, give me a break. Yeah. It was natural first. Supernatural second. And the miracle just looked awfully mundane. Filling the water pots up with water. And it became wine. 
I, I think about the woman in Second Kings chapter 4. I want to teach you a principle. Teach you a principle. Because so many people want supernatural. They want God to do great things. But it's natural first. And God uses our simple acts of obedience to accomplish great things. I, I, I look at the woman in Second Kings chapter 4. Her husband had died. She was a widow. She had two kids. They were in financial hardship. They owed some creditors. The creditors wanted to take the two sons as slaves so the woman could pay off her debt. She was getting ready to lose, or lost her husband, not going to lose her two sons. She goes to the prophet and says, I'm about to lose everything. The prophet says, listen, what do you have in your house? What kind of bread do you have? She says, I got a little oil. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the word of the Lord for you. Go to your neighbor's house and get some jars, as many as you can. I'm not doing that. If God wants to provide for me, he just will do it. Doing all that, all that preach up there talking about tithing and serving and surrendering to God. If God wants to use me, he'll just do it. Okay, you keep not being used then. Because I'm telling you, you better get some water jars. You better be obedient to the word of the Lord. And she went and she got some water jars, jars, and she got the jars there. And if you would have been there that day, you wouldn't even know a miracle was taking place. Because it's just through mundane, simple acts of obedience. She got the water jars. She got the oil. And she started pouring oil. And the next thing you know, the natural, God showed up with supernatural. And she kept pouring. That little oil kept going. And she poured another jar. And she poured another jar. And she poured another jar. And she poured. She, it's, I don't know how this is happening. We were just being obedient. God showed up. Natural, another supernatural. And the last jar. And she poured the last jar. And the next thing you know, the oil was cut off. But it was natural. Then supernatural. You want God to do great things in your life? It's about surrendering your bread to Jesus. And it's about being obedient to his word. And God shows up with supernatural power. It doesn't work the other way. I deal with Christians a lot. I deal with pastors a lot. I love pastors. I got pastors that will say, oh, we're waiting on the Lord. Revival's coming to our church. Oh, really? What's that going to look like? What's revival look like? More services? Five hour long? What's, come on, what, what, what's it look like? Oh, we're waiting on the revivals. Well, what are you doing to prepare for? No, I'm just, we're just waiting when God shows up. He's just going to show up. You're not, so you're not doing anything. You're not praying. You're not getting your kids area together. not getting your youth men. Oh, no. I, the Lord is going to show up in power. Power. Okay, I hear you. You get some water pots. You, you're getting the water full, the jugs full of water. You. You getting in, finding your bread? Because it's natural. Then supernatural. Number four is this, number four is this, number four is this, number four is this, number four is this. God multiplies what we put in his hands. God multiplies what we put in his hands. When we surrender our bread to God, he multiplies what we put in his hands. This is a principle you see all throughout scripture. Let's look back at our text. Mark chapter 6 and verse 41 through 43. Taking the five loaves and two fish... And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. That's what Jesus does. When we put our bread in his hands, he blesses it. A lot of people won't bless bread, but they don't want to put it in his hands. No, no, no. He blessed the bread when it got in his hands. He took the bread and he blessed the bread. And then once Jesus blessed the bread, the Bible says that he gave them to the disciples. He gave blessed bread back to them. Then the Bible says this, they set it before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. The Bible says, verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied because they surrendered their bread to Jesus and they had simple acts of obedience. Literally thousands of people were blessed. 
No doubt people place their faith in Jesus Christ because of this miracle that they partner with the Lord. Jesus multiplied what they put in their hand, in his hands, and then thousands were blessed because of their faithfulness, their act of obedience. And then verse 43 is very interesting. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Not only were thousands taken care of by the blessed bread that Jesus blessed that they put in his hands, but the disciples had more bread left over than what they started with. That's how God works. God always blesses you back more than you give him. It's a principle in the Word of God. You find it in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Not just given to you, but a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will, be sur- it will be measured to you. But the problem is, so many people hold on instead of letting go. They don't give their bread to Jesus. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. How does that work? I don't quite understand it, but I know it's true in my own life. I know it's true from the scriptures. You place the bread in Jesus' hand, and he blesses you back with more than what you started with. But another withholds unduly. Another won't surrender their bread to God. Another is full of excuses. Another is stingy. Another says, my time's my time. My talent's my talent. My money's my money. I'll do what I want to do. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. They hold on instead of letting go. Mark chapter 10 and verse 28 through 30, Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus. We've left everything. We've surrendered everything to follow you. I mean, what, what's going to happen to us? We, we've left everything. Jesus said in verse 29, I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you the truth. Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields, that's resources for me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus said this, anybody who surrendered it all to me, here's what I want you to know, I'm going to bless them back in this life. And in the life to come. If you don't like that, you just say, I don't believe that. Well, you take it up with Jesus. Because that's what he said. I didn't say that. That's what he said. I'll multiply what you put in my hands. And I'll bless it back to you. You're not going to outgive me. You surrender your bread to me. And I'll always use you to bless other people and give you more than what you started with. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the best part of everything you produce. Everybody shout best. I want you to catch it. A lot of people don't give God their best. I believe in giving God our best. I believe what the scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God. Give God your best. A lot of people give God what's left over, the rest. <laughs> they pay all their bills and give God the, what's ever left over. But God says, no, no, honor me with the best. I, I believe this with everything inside of me. I, I live this way. My wife and I, we live this way. Jesus gets the first 10%, not the last 10%. I give him the best first. I'm not giving him what's left over. And I believe this all in my heart. It's scriptural. You give God the best, he'll bless the rest. But a lot of people want to give God the rest and hope he blesses all the rest of it. But that's not how it works. You give God the best and he blesses the rest. It goes on to say this. You do that, you do this, you honor the Lord with the best, with the best part. It says, then he will fill your barn with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Give God your best, he'll bless the rest. We had a lady in our church who recently started doing this. And the Lord has showed up greatly in her life. Because it's a principle in God's word. And God's doing great things in her life. And I just want you to quickly hear Monica's testimony. Check out this video. 
My son had gotten into some trouble, and so we had to get an attorney, and it was expensive. It was a $5,000 bill, and I was paying payments on it. And I had started going to church, and um, I had knew that I needed to tithe. I really knew I needed to, but I just never did it. I mean, I would play with it. I would say, oh, I can do this much, or I'm going to try to do it this time. But then, you know, I never stayed with it, and I never really committed to doing an actually what I would call a tithe. I just would kind of say, oh, this will work. And then Pastor Herbert did the 90-day tithing challenge, and I was like, oh, hey, you know, this is a perfect time. I mean, he's going to get my money back. If it doesn't work, if I don't get what God promised me, I'm gonna, he's going to pay me back. So surely I can make it 90 days. So I just did it. And... I'm telling you, it wasn't three, it was three days after the first time I did it. My son's attorney called me at work and said, we'd like to do a brochure or and see if you would like to say anything about what we've done for you guys and your family. And I was like, sure, I will, you know, no problem. And he said, and you don't have to pay your bill. Well, I don't know how much it is. I don't know how much you have left, but you can just forget the rest of it. I was like, oh, yes, it works. It really does. I mean, it wasn't easy, but it's easy now. I mean, I just do it. I don't even hesitate now. I just sign up online even. It's like, I don't even have to, I don't even have to do it. It's, the church does it for, I just love it. I mean, I, my life is so much better in every aspect. I am happy and I don't have a problem tithing now. I just do it. I've just been honest with you as your pastor. I so desperately. In every area of your life, every area. I want you to surrender your bread. Some of you are fighting right now. Your time and your talents, your resources, your life, your sin. You're fighting. I'm just telling you, you're missing out on God doing great things in your life. Some of you, greater things. Well, I'm doing all right. I'm doing it my way. But you trust God with your life. You see, it's not just being saved. It's being surrendered. Surrender. Don't continue to live a life of sin. Surrender. Surrender. Some of you, your time, your talents, would you invest it in God's kingdom? As you leave out today in the lobby at the Welcome Center, get plugged into a ministry. Give God some of your time. Let him use you in his kingdom, in his vineyard, to make a difference. If it's not at this church, get to the city rescue mission. Go help the elderly lady. Let God use you. Surrender your bread. Just in the lobby, you can get one of the serving carts, fill it out, turn it in there at the Welcome Center. We'll give you a buzz this week. Some of you get your resources. Some of you used to tithe. Some of you do 2% or 3%. Would you honor the Lord with the whole 10%? Would you give Jesus your bread? Would you just quit trusting yourself? Trust the Lord. Matter of fact, the 90 day tithe challenge, it's this cards in the back of your seats. I so believe with the Word of God. There's only one place in Scripture God says, Test me. That's with the area of finances. Because he knew we struggled with greed. He knew we struggled with stinginess. He knew we struggled, struggled with trusting our own ingenuity and wisdom and work ethic. So God says, test me. I want you to test the Lord the next 90 days. If you come and say, hey, the Lord hasn't been faithful to me, you just call the office. We'll, at the end of 90 days, we'll refund your money. Because I believe what the Word of God says. I've lived it. Oh, I know it. I, matter of fact, I know if you do it and you trust the Lord and you honor God, you, there won't be a call back. I know that because the Lord is faithful. You put the bread in his hands. He blesses it. 
He multiplies it. He blesses others. And you're blessed with more than you had to begin with.